My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. never was an extremist. Now, I suppose that could be a contradiction. I mean, never is a pretty strong word, of which I use a lot. Kind of an absolute or absolute's extreme. I don't know. I don't really care. Do you care? Who cares? Let's get past it. I feel like right now, we are talking a lot. Okay, Our society talks better than we do much of anything else. And I feel like, as a natural course, with all the words comes hyperbole and extremes. Social media is more a part of our lives than ever. You've heard that before, haven't you? We still listen to a lot of talk radio and watch debates, both of which are just people talking. Audiobooks, podcasts, podcasts like this one, which, I mean, though it takes work to put out, is still ultimately just me talking. Remember the saying, actions speak louder than words? I think we don't know what that means anymore. We got that all twisted up. We're using so many words and so many different mediums that we've kind of found a way to convince ourselves that words are more than just words. And despite all the words, some from very intelligent people, we're wrong. Somehow, some way, we decided words are actions because we aren't actually saying them, see? We're typing them. We're blogging. We're singing them. These are actions. So by default, basically, words are like at least a lame son of actions, right? Brought in to run things when the old man is out. And rather than advance the business or increase productivity, they just kind of happen. They linger. Oh, they linger. Our words don't go into the air and dissipate anymore. They're right here. See? Look in your hand. If you're holding your device that you listen to this, there's my words in your hand right there. Doesn't that make them kind of mean something? Aren't they now tangible? On my Facebook news page, on my Twitter feed, on my podcast, on some comment thread, on some web page, replaced tomorrow but never really gone, just lingering. I can't shake the image of word bubbles in comic books, you know. If I want to communicate something, if I draw the word bubble, write the words inside the bubble, isn't that an action? No, not really. And I think we all know it. Still just words. And no more an action than speaking words is an action. Value. Because deep down we know they have little. We say extreme things. We say crazy shit. We charge the words with strong emotive language. We don't just talk. We lay down the law. I strenuously object. Is that how it works? Objection. Overruled. No, 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 no. No, I strenuously object. Oh, wow. Strenuously object, and I should take some time to reconsider. Yeah. Extremism has found a nice, comfortable place in our society. And uh, is it any surprise? We love things that are cheap, easy, and delicious. It's not tasty enough to say that some Republicans are greedy bastards. Nah. Republicans are greedy bastards. Oh, yeah. That's what I like. More, please. Some Muslims want to behead you. Save it. Enough with your mildness. Muslims, they'll behead you. There you have it. 
And now you see plainly why people still buy bumper stickers. <laughs> Nothing too complex. Can't be wasting time thinking or anything. Just fast food brain me, please. Hyperbole me. Look, if intelligence were nutrition, hyperbole would be the equivalent to the McDonald's two cheeseburger meal. How weird is it that in this society, that metaphor works way too good. <laughs> anyway, extreme statements are just that, statements. We enjoy them because in truth, there's no true risk, no true jeopardy. Beyond briefly losing the comfort of others agreeing with you, there's not, there's no, no risk. You're all right. You're going to be fine. And besides, since we never have to face each other anymore, what's the big deal? We want our statements to mean something, I think, you know, to be heard and to a certain degree to be noted, to at least be noted as adding, you know, we want to add something to, to a growing tide of thought, a tide of thought that will affect some kind of real change. And hey, by adding our comment to such a tide, we're at least able to go back and show, in case anyone doubts, I was on such and such a side. See, there it is. When not being used as some sort of clever bonus joke, that's what a hashtag is for. Why do you think corporations use them? So here we are on a podcast with words and words of three dudes who just were just that, three dudes. Take any three randoms off the street, walk outside your door, grab the first two dudes you say, and then you jump in, record a podcast. You'd be just as qualified as me and my next two guests. Here's the thing, though. I don't think they'd mind me saying that. Mike Lewis of Giving is Believing podcast and Billy Power of Urban Achiever podcast and yours truly all got together and decided to add more words to the car crash of words. While none of us claim to have any more answers than anyone else, Aside from just generally enjoying the fellowship between brothers, we thought we'd start some conversation. Talked about that before, haven't we? So here you go. I've got some bits and some pieces from a three-hour conversation with my good friends Billy and Lewis. Now, if you haven't already, you can hear this entire conversation on Billy and Mike's shows. That's uh, Urban Achiever for Billy Power and Giving is Believing for Mike Lewis. Uh, just consider this a bit of an appetizer or a, a summary. Uh, but before we go there, I wanted to let you know something. Um, this will be the last of the first season of Never Was. I don't know why. I just want to call it that, I guess. Seasons. We will return pretty much right away, but with some new wrinkles. I'm still going to do the big shows like I've been doing, you know, the audio and the guests and what have you. But I felt like I needed a way to get you guys back in the conversation. Fitting emails into the context of a show Mostly just left emails out of the mix, left people not really being heard. And that is not what I wanted to do. Not what I love about this medium. So in addition to the usual Never Was interviews, this season you can look forward to something I'm calling the Podcastrophe. Literally a by-the-seat-of-my-pants hour-long show. We'll talk about whatever's going on, and the guests will be you. Uh, look for that and more coming very soon. I'm literally just going to go for an hour Record it and send it out. That way I can maintain it while I'm on the road or whatever and I don't lose touch with you guys. But I also want to be able to consistently feature your emails as part of the show. So again, coming soon. Until then, please enjoy my sort of summary of uh, part of this three-hour conversation that I had with 
Billy Power and Mike Lewis. Let the words rain down. Extreme power, bro. Do the do. What's the problem, dude? You got to just stay off of there. I'm going to lose it. What's, what's the problem, Mark? Like Sean, like, uh, <laughs> this is perfect. XL. I mean, let's just get in there. XL just posted, you know, uh, not all Muslims are down with ISIS. Just like not all Christians are down with so-called Christians that shoot up abortion clinics. Not all Muslims should be considered for exile from this country. Just like not all Christians should be targeted for hate. You know, two people are like, Thank you. Hate is wrong for Yeshua. Our Savior asks us to love our enemies, Baba. And then immediately, they are taught to lie and deceive and seen as upstanding citizens. Like the one in California proved the exact opposite. How many friends and coworkers they had to see? It just instantly fear, fear, fear. And then, of course, they show some freaking post, probably from some right-wing freak website. And, and that's their evidence as to why all Muslim people should be treated like terrorists who are trying to sneak in and blow your, your house up. It just drives me nuts. And then another person jumps in and goes, you forgot they are, taught to, they are told to hate and kill Jews. And yes, they hate America, even the peaceful Sunny. What? That's good. Keep going. I just can't. I, it's like it takes one minute. It takes one minute on Facebook for me to lose my shit. Man. You gotta, you gotta use the hide technology, bro. Unfollow, hide, hide. Yeah, but hide. this is my buddy Todd. I mean, he Whatever. posted, and then these are people rips responding. Listen, to him. listen. These algorithms are very sophisticated. I, I don't want to hear stuff about ISIS. I don't want to hear stuff about Trump. I hit t- like, I hit like thirty Trump posts. Two days ago. <laughs> Come on, Facebook. Learn what I want to see and what I don't want to see. Hide all trending topics. That's what I want. Where's that button at? What are we, okay, I'm closing this up. <laughs> and no and no offense Close to no, you. No, leave Mark. it open. I'm I'm you're off to a good start. And no offense to you, Mark, but I'm just I'm just gonna throw this out there that maybe some of your fans have some wacky ideas because I made the mistake once of of making some sort of comment on your Facebook on, on something that you posted. Uh And then I got sucked in to the nightmare of um, just verbal vomit all over your Facebook comment page. So my question is uh, what was solved? (laughs) Everything did all the things get fixed. Everyone changed their minds. Let's take a, let's take a quick poll. So Mike, you posted the original who my friends likes Trump. Uh, gonculator. Yeah. How many? How many? You know just, the answer. Just throw out. Bill. Just hold on. Just, <laughs> just hold on. Just let's just throw out a number. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be scientific. Like when you ran it, because you did. I'm sure. Yeah. How many? How many people popped up? Uh, spitball. S- seven. Seven. But I was pretty. I was actually uh, surprised was by surprised who came Surprised by up. who was in that seven. <laughs> and you know, I mean, there were the, some usual suspects yeah. of people that I know who like Trump. And, sure. And I just forgive them anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were seven. Okay, people. so when I ran it, I'd say less than twenty. No more than scrolling down two pages. And then I showed Mark when he was at my house yesterday. Go ahead, Mark. Tell the tell the tell the kids how many pages of people came up that like Trump on your Facebook friends there. I'm just going to go with a lot. 10 pages, 20 pages. 
There were well 50, over 100, 100? people. <laughs> well over 100 people. Filter, filter out, unfollow, unfollow, unfriend, filter, filter, I mean, I, hide. I, I don't, obviously, you know, and of course there's already a person, just because somebody liked a, liked something on his page doesn't mean they support. It's like, of course, of course you think that. Of course you're going to say that. You're the same guy who jumps in there with an immediate response to why guns don't kill people, people kill people and all that. It's, you know, there's always somebody ready with a defense. And I, I'm not even saying that I know anything about anybody who I don't already know just because they liked something on the Trump page. Okay. But a hun- over a hundred people is a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> over a hundred is a lot. We're, you just maybe need a little social editing, dude. That's I think all we're I figured saying. out where that comes from though. Have you? Yeah. You got to the bottom of it? Well, kind of, because, you know, on Absolutes, which is one of the, it's the, it's the album, the Stavesacre album that I think it's called back to most frequently. Mm -hmm. There's the song Zizek Scarecrow on there, which is, you know, at the time was written as a full on pro death penalty song. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like people heard it and went like, oh, yes. He gets me. He's, he's, these ones are safe, you know, eye for an eye, bro. Like we stopped playing that song because Sam was the first person who said, I don't agree with this song and I don't want to play this song anymore. Mm. And then, you know, I still don't mind playing the song, but I've completely changed my view on that whole thing. I, I still see the song as, as a, as an honest response when it was written, it was an honest response to the polyclass murderer, the guy who killed polyclass was given the opportunity to like blow like blow up her dad mm-hmm. in the in the the uh courtroom and mm-hmm. like say all these horrible things that are going to scar that guy's brain forever after killing his daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an honest response and I don't I don't have any problem with having written it. But at the same time, I'm not a pro death penalty guy. Mm-hmm. But you know, how old are you, how old were you when you wrote that song? 27 years old. How old are you now? I'm I'm going to be 46 in about a month. Really? So weird, weird how you changed over several decades. <laughs> yeah, but only because of clever uh, Facebook memes. Right. Those are what have really brought me around. As Richard Allen Davis awaited sentencing today, he listened as Mark Class, the father of his victim, addressed the court. He has made innocent people suffer. And truly, the honorable way out would be for him to commit suicide. It's the least he can do to alleviate our pain. But since he does not have the goodness or the courage within him to take even that step, the state is placed in the terrible situation of having to make that decision for him. The high profile search for Holly Class, kidnapped from her own bedroom three years ago, made her face familiar across the country. After she was found murdered, her father rose to prominence as an advocate for tough laws to protect children. But he has always focused on seeing Davis sentenced to death. He broke the contract. For that, he must die. And Mr. Davis, when you get to where you're going, say hello to Hitler, say hello to Dahmer, and say hello to Bundy. And good riddance, and the sooner you get there, the better we are. We all are. Davis was also allowed to speak. For the first time, he showed some hint of remorse, apologizing to Polly's mother, Eve Nichols. To Eve Nichols and her family, for what it's worth, I do offer my sincere apology. To certain members of the Kloss family, I also offer the same. 
Then he got in a last word, adding insult to an already unspeakable injury. I would also like to state for the record that the main reason I know that I did not attempt any lewd act and that was because of a statement the young girl made to me when walking her up the embankment. Just don't do me like my dad. I have to pay my dues, so should Burn you. Burn in hell, Davis. Fuck. Damn, boy. Moments later, Richard Allen Davis was sentenced to death. This is always a traumatic and emotional decision for a judge. You've made it very easy today by your conduct. the default Christian view of ignorance, hatred since nine 11. I mean, yeah, it's since nine 11. No, I, I think it's, it's even, it's even, you think that started sooner. I think it started sooner. And I think nine 11 confirmed what was already going on. There was definitely a push towards the more conservative or uh, I hate using that word because it's just giving that word away. But you know, <laughs> I think before 9-11, nobody between New York and Los Angeles even knew what a Muslim was. No, I mean. <laughs> I mean as a gross generalization, gosh, it was not on their radar I at remember all. working at Raging Records in Fresno and yeah. seeing, um, like, there were jokes in there about how they're going to blow us all up anyway. And, you know what I mean? Like, it was, there was a, there was a, a constant running, you know, some crazy Muslim is going to blow us up or, you know, but mm. it was usually a crazy Arab or something like, like some 
just completely what would be considered now to be a really ignorant statement. It would, it would, it would be that, you know, Mm -hmm. because back then there wasn't so much attached to it, you know, Uh, it wasn't a talking point though (laughs) until it actually happened. And then everything definitely like landed. But I mean, dude, I remember in the eighties being when uh, Iran had uh, the, the hostages, Mm -hmm. Uh, don't you remember the song, you know, went to the mosque, gonna throw some rocks gonna turn iran into a parking lot bomb iran bomb bomb you don't remember that song it was on the radio like yeah. on the radio all the time yeah so like i you know face I don't think it's face new. it's facebook and fox news it's an, in, it's an increased intensity in that in that span of time the ability to wind up up, up other people has increased mm-hmm. uh exponentially like here's the new talking point uh military age young what is it what is it that they keep saying all the time fighting age fighting age it's just lifted i've seen that so many times like it's just a talking point is all it is like limbaugh or somebody said it and then fox picks it up and then everyone just regurgitates the same phrases and they don't know the demographic makeup at all of refugees or like anything else like it's crazy but i but i expect it from them yeah the thing, the thing that I that I can't come to terms with is Christians. Why, like Franklin Graham, saying the most absurd, ignorant. Yeah, but this is the comments. same guy who, during Mitt Romney's campaign for to to win his campaign to win the election, he wasn't trying to win that thing, by the way. But anyway, it, during that time, during Mitt Romney's camp, campaign, Franklin R- Graham removed Mormons from the list of cults. <laughs> On the on the on the website for oh great I mean come on thanks Mark now you're gonna anger all my many Mormon listeners I apologize Mormons well no I mean but my hey it's crazy I I mean honestly and and I have lots of Mormon friends too but Mark makes a good point that when you know growing up my parents would say oh Mormonism is that's a a cult of course and sure Walter Martin was the first apologist that I ever heard ever in my life and straight up was was lauded as God's watchdog and his number one target was Mormon but they were ready to put all that aside for hell yes they were for politics sure. uh, like well you know Mitt they needed the votes. A good guy and he's a good you know he's a good Mormon and he has his good views but I, I I'm saying like Christians have fallen so deep into this nonsense of fear spreading fear and 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 I would like to argue that I'm not sure that Christians or that Americans even have a right to be so fearful of Muslims whenever you know Bill, you know Bill, Bill and I went to Kenya and in Kenya Muslims and Christianity are right next to each other and mm-hmm. there are real actual issues of like you could actually you know a fight could break out and something could happen that is not they burned even, like the church down in, in uh, yeah they Kibera burned the church down during during the elections none of that is even close to being American reality but Americans are so fearful mm-hmm. of you know some uh, soccer mom in Dallas, Texas is is on the lookout for the Muslims that are coming to get her. Sure. It doesn't make any sense. Well, like, to be fair, they're afraid because our military is spread out over the whole globe. <laughs> There's like five guys left over here to protect us if anyone comes over here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, I just read a thing about a, a, a he was like a Sikh guy at a at a Minnesota Vikings game in the stands. 
with his kids to watch a game and some dude comes across across a couple rows and demands to see his identification and wants to know what his affiliate like all this like just somebody at the game and you know where that comes from that comes from that if you see something say something type of mentality yeah. that everybody thinks is so wonderful and safe and i get it there's just no there's no fine line of there's no balance it's it's loose lips sink extremism like that's where that's where i'm at i am not an extremist and i'm never going to be because i don't think it's ever gonna fix anything but that's where we all we've we're in in a such a pampered society where we have really zero challenges beyond man i just don't know if i'm gonna be able to afford to keep this giant house i just don't know you know (laughs) That kind of shit is not a real challenge, man. I uh-huh. mean, it's, 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 yes, it's nice to have a house and all that stuff, but those are not the trials that we were told we were going to be incurring in this planet. Okay. We are so shielded from actual trials and tribulations that we think our cable subscriber or whatever, uh, charging us an extra 20 bucks is some sort of a trial that we're going to have to pray about how to get through. And it's nonsense. But when you have, when that's where your your mind is at as far as what a battle in your life is going to be, oh my God, these guys, they're going to come here and they're going to kill everybody. Like that's immediately the knee jerk of that, of that mind. It's a mm. weak mind. Well, let's say, let's say that that's possible. Let's say that that's actually possible that, okay, yeah, people are going to come over here or, or there's violence, you know, breaking out here and there. Where, where does, as a Christian, where does that come into play of your fear? And like biblically speaking, wasn't that what Jesus was want, spent so much energy towards the end preparing his disciples for? I that feel it, like yes. It, it's like, <laughs> and it's not pretending that it's possible. It's a hundred percent possible, but it's always been possible, right? This is not new, <laughs> guys. Totally new. We don't need Jesus because we got guns. <laughs> 35-year-old Depender Mayel says he was called a refugee by a belligerent white man during the first quarter of the Vikings game. Mayel believes it happened because this fan thought he was an extremist Muslim. He eventually grabbed security who confronted this man. They allowed him to stay for the rest of the game. And I think something struck with him because he said, I'm sorry. Um, he did apologize. He did apologize, yeah. But for Mayel, this wasn't enough. So he wrote a Star Tribune op-ed piece calling for this type of hate speech and racial profiling to stop. If you look at what's happening on the national conversation, um, it this really shows how it permeates down. He's talking about Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump calling for all Muslims to be banned from entering the country and the climate of Islamophobia in some parts of the nation after the San Bernardino shootings. Mayel says he's tired of being lumped into this group because of the color of his skin. Uh, I am not a Muslim. I am a Sikh American. The Vikings responded by saying they are investigating this incident and reminded fans there is a code of conduct expected during games. And the kicker here, Mayel is a human rights attorney helping refugees settle into Minnesota. Some rocks. Tell the I told her gonna put you in a box. Bomb, 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 b
guns in san bernardino or san nowhere Lula ever or columbine where were they they were nowhere man those dudes got their guns at their house so what's the answer arm everybody oh yeah man you should definitely arm mentally and physically disabled kids uh at a san bernardino place you know at, at that at that uh, facility so that they can protect themselves against uh random nuts i mean those people who shot everybody there you know who I, I think they are i think they're terrible terrorists i think they're like as in not not good as in other terrorists like amateurs you know because they had all these big plans and they're going to do all this stuff and then they went to a christmas party and some guy pissed them off and they did the typical american knee-jerk thing and said oh yeah yeah you, you don't think i'm a big deal watch you know and they came over there and blew <laughs> their entire plan so they could shoot their these people at an <laughs> office party you know that's a that's a that's a weakling. It's just like those kids that saw somebody stage dive on a video on MTV or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then that guy showed another guy how to do it, and now all of a sudden they're all look like they're having an epileptic epileptic seizure, and nobody understands what they're doing. Breaking necks <laughs> from coast to coast. You I know think the, we want we want a diving obvious feet first. target. We're yeah. we're so used to having like the the villain. You know, there's always got to be a somebody to bomb. You know, there has to be at least a target. And what we are not, we're not capable of dealing with is that there is no Hitler involved here. There's no Saddam Hussein. There's no Osama bin Laden right now. Boy, they keep bringing him up though. A bunch Dragging of other, out Hitler all the time. random people. Let's talk specifics. Cause you've, cause you've shot a gun before bill. You've shot a gun. Many, before. many guns. It is not easy to hit a target. In the right spot. Well, it is. If Speak you're for yourself, I'm buddy. I'm I, no, I qualified expert marksman when I was in the army. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm saying that like this concept, like people have in their mind that if everyone is armed, that you're an expert marksman oh, yeah. and that you're ready for whatever's going to happen. Very where, well disciplined. So if a man comes in with a machine gun where, I mean, first of all, you're going to be holstered. You are gonna have to figure some stuff out. And that guy has already lit up the room. Like what, how is that? The answer to anything. I have another question, though, on top of that. We already did this. We already had everybody's armed. The Wild West yeah, was everybody, everybody's Everybody armed. wants to go back to the Wild West. But there's a reason why that stopped. Yeah, because it got out of hand and We're nobody wanted to live it. like that anymore. Human beings are not good at everybody's armed. We should just start killing people. Yeah, true. That's, there's a reason that stopped once, once before. There's always an asshole who drank too much. <laughs> Right, totally. <laughs> yeah, dude. Or a guy who got pissed off at a holiday party, and instead of leaving to go get the guns, he just had one on him. Yeah, that's that show, Hell on Wheels. I keep telling. I've told you guys about that show, right? It's on AMC. Takes place after the Civil War, and it's uh, post Lincoln. They're building the railroad and like whatever. And in the railroad town, which is called Hell on Wheels, they're having stuff like that happen all the time. The guy come a drunk out of the saloon and and get mad at the other guy and just shoot him out in the street. And then they're showing how they, you know, had a provisional governor finally came in and they're trying to, and then the struggle of them to try to create law and order when everybody's just kind of used to bribing people and, do, you know, like someone becomes a crime, they just hang them from the gallows in the middle of the town. They're like, well, we got to have like a court and like, what are they like? What we've never done? What are you talking about? Even, <laughs> even in tombstone, the okay corral 
happened because they put up a rule to keep guns out of the saloon. Right. If you if you watch Tombstone and when you see Wyatt Earp, you don't (laughs) see Obama or whoever your villain is that wants to take out guns, then you're not seeing reality. That guy took everybody's guns. Like he actually did what everyone's afraid the government's gonna do. They had to. Because everyone was getting shot. We did this already once before. Didn't work out very well. And now that's that that's suddenly the answer again. And yet nobody wants to believe that there's a group of people set to make a, a just a shitload of money off of that ideal. I, I, Why are you just, trying to break up my well-regulated militia, bro? <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing. Since last time we were a well-regulated militia, you know? I mean, really. I, and I'm not saying that uh, owner. I like... Shooting guns with my old man. We go and shoot guns at the range. It is fun. It's cool. But I don't need to walk around strapped to the teeth. I don't need that. I don't understand. I don't stand the love. I don't understand the love affair with guns that it gets a pass over. It just has to be the NRA because think of all the things that we've adapted and changed the law on virtually everything from gay marriage to they want to regulate the internet to, you know what I mean? They regulate every, practically everything Driving. you can possibly conceive yeah. of. Seatbelts. But for helmets. whatever reason, like, why would we want to regulate a dangerous weapon? Like, it just, it, like, the way people talk about it, it's like, it's just this sacred, I don't get it. It's about, it's about Americans have this way overblown view of rights and that, it, right. dude, dude, you're infringing on my rights. And I just think that the, I think it's on both sides. You have knee-jerk reactions on both ends. It's like the reaction to say, let's take every single gun away. Okay, that's probably not realistic. You know, some dude- Nobody's saying that, though. But actually, Nobody. someone did say that. And that's, that's half the problem. In 1996, the CDC, who is the people, by the way, everybody, whenever I bring up the CDC and gun control, they always go the same thing. That's not a disease. What the hell are you talking about, man? Dude, the CDC is why we wear seatbelts. Just FYI. That's they're, they're, they, they do anything that's- that's considered harmful to all the people. That's their thing. Sure. They tried, they had, uh, uh, they had people and, and resources set aside to research everything. What am I doing? Am I doing it wrong? Got to eat your mic a little Sorry. bit, bro. Stay on people. mic, bro. I'm still not as loud as you, I don't think. Because <laughs> you're not on mic. <laughs> I'm on mic right now. My mouth is touching it. It's really. Yeah, yeah that's the first time. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> You guys aren't touching the mic. I'm like two inches from the end of this thing. Okay, so the CDC in 1996, I believe, there was like this this thing where they were going to, they, they, they had this plan in, in place to research the gun epidemic and what, how people were getting killed by handguns and all this. And one of the people involved said the fateful words, I'll, we'll see to it that every gun is eliminated from this country and then at that moment all the every every you know panic wire got yanked and the whole thing got pulled so it's been 20 years since we've had any government sponsored studies on gun safety gun control all that kind of stuff it's just shot down and those people that's a self-imposed ban they stopped studying it on their own because they didn't want to get completely shut down and, and you can look it up. You can just, you can study it. I, I have, I've tried to see, I'm, I don't think the answer is, is as simple as anybody wants it to be. Everybody wants like this quick silver bullet thing. Cause that's what we do in this country. We like things to be automatic. It's not going to be like that, but at the very least, if you can't 
And if you can't devote a group of people to study this and provide real data and real information mm-hmm. on how to change things, then you're not trying at all. Why, why not at least try something? That's, That's what doing I'm saying. Something. I don't, I'm not expecting a quick fix or anything like that either. But the idea that we're just going to throw our hands up and do nothing to me is baffling. It's it's and, one extreme or the other. And 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 it it's crazy to me when when people try to demonize the president or other people when they seem mad and shot. Like, how would you feel? How would you like it if it was your job to come on here and just tell people sorry? Like, it's just like as a nation, everybody's become so self centered and so unempathetic. Um, that's to me almost a bigger problem than all these other things. To me, guns and all this other stuff is a sub thing of the average citizen's inability to feel empathy for other people and to put themselves in their shoes. What if that was my kid? What if that was my wife? What if that was my son or my daughter? Would I say, oh, you can't do anything to keep my guns away? Or would, you know what I mean? I feel like if you can just even for five seconds, put yourself in that person's shoes, that you're just an asshole. If you can't say, yeah, we should try to do something. Like how, like how are we so disconnected from people like, and, and how have we just, and forget about all the, and, and once again, everybody armchair quarterbacking, you know, oh, it's not technically a mass shooting. Fuck you. Like whatever. If there's 10 a year, if there's five a year, if there's one a year, one mass shooting where a bunch of kids in a school get murdered is too many as far as I'm concerned. Well, and it's statistically, crazy. statistically, other countries have done it and have been successful. Sure. I don't see how you can argue against it. If you believe in numbers at all. Anybody well, in this discussion always brings up Chicago and how Chicago allegedly has all these like, gun laws, blah, blah, gun blah. laws and it's proof that it doesn't work. First of all, that's a very convenient sighting. Uh, and I, I still think that you're talking about a, a state that's full of people with guns already, but I counter that with Australia, way more people complete like frontier mentality or whatever. And they have completely reversed field on the, on the, the guns. But the Chicago city gun violence that they're talking about is not the same thing as these mass shootings. It just isn't. (laughs) That's a different thing that, that needs to be addressed. We're not talking about inner city gang violence. We're not talking about normal gun murder that happens in places like New York and Chicago and LA and big cities. That's what's been happening forever. That's not the problem. Well, let's just cut to the chase and let's and let's be real for a minute. Sure. Americans, white Americans especially, are fine with black on black death. Of course. Are fine with 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 uh the guns raging out of control because it's on the other side of town. I think you still have to you still have to I know it doesn't sound as powerful, but you have to say some it's not that's not well, not all white America is okay with that, you know. Dude, come on, this is all about true. hyperbole. You gotta throw everybody oh, in there. It's that's not- the problem. That's what we problem we keep getting into is the <laughs> hyperbole is what changes the conversation. <laughs> that person, whomever that is, I can't remember who said we're gonna get rid of all the guns, just shut down. I wouldn't be surprised if that person was put there by the NRA yeah. to shut this whole thing down. However, like, the people that are in charge, like the president say stuff like common sense gun laws. He's not saying get rid of all the guns. Yeah, but see, that doesn't feed my my paranoia. <laughs> I like the paranoia. Keep it going. Well, and and, and anytime that it comes up, it all it, it always comes back to, you know, my hunting rifle. Right. And it's like, I want to hunt. Who cares about <laughs> your hunting rifle? I mean, come on, man. No one wants your hunting rifle. And I don't know, you know, like that's not the conversation. The conversation is not 
about you and your son going out on the weekend and shooting, you know, deer. Or it's doing- not even about the people that are in the gun club that go down to the range and and try out their different whatever. I I, I mean, but can't whatever everyone agree on some level that no, having a semi-automatic weapon is that like <laughs> clearly. I mean, there's only <laughs> no one agrees. There's only one purpose to a gun like that. There's only one purpose. I agree. I'm with you. Protection. I don't understand it at all. <laughs> Protection. Wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your huckleberry. That's just my game. All right, Lunger. You go to hell. I'll put you out of your misery. Say wham. Johnny, don't. I swear to God. Law dog, you don't step aside, we'll tear you apart. You die first, get it? Your friends might get me in a rush, but not before I make your head into a canoe. You understand me? He's bluffing. Let's rush him. No. He ain't bluffing. You're not as stupid as you look, I... And you... Music lover, you're next. <laughs> drunk piano player. You're so drunk, you can't hit nothing. In fact, you're probably seeing double. I have two guns, one for each of you. We're here to disarm you, throw up your hands. Oh, my God. family still lives in fresno okay and my pops is i mean he's he is always certain that they're coming you know (laughs) they're coming and i mean to a certain degree i kind of understand they've had a couple really weird brushes where stuff got real scary Mm -hmm. um and and that conversation can go back and forth and round and round forever but i don't think that as christian people 
it should even be mentioned anymore. I don't think it's our it's our debate. I don't think it's our our concern. There is just there's simply no way you can justify to me like building a compound in the name of Jesus. I don't see where it happens. I don't see where it works. What I'm not even trying to weigh in on the laws of the land. Like there, that's their laws. You know, mm-hmm. where, what, at what point do we come apart from them and separate from the, the people that are around us, you know, jumping into the political thing, jumping in, I, I've made the mistake of, of publicly saying I was going to vote for Obama. You know, oh, I should boy. never have said anything because it doesn't matter. It honestly, I don't know that I should even be voting anyway, because I, I don't think any of these people stand for my beliefs. So why in the world would I be you know, choosing the lesser of two evils. That's what I've been saying forever, you know, and, and, and especially now, you know, Obama, I, I was, I was all about as I thought he was going to be uh, so different and he wasn't, he's just the same as everybody else except black and therefore obviously much, much worse. But. Yeah. But if you, <laughs> but if you talk about, you know, politics, I mean, politics is oh, brother, kind of like being, you know, in a corporation, it's, It's all about compromise. And so it's hard for anyone. I mean, the perfect president is a moderate that can please both sides. Mm -hmm. And it's an impossible job to make everyone happy because you can't do it. Right. It's it's the extreme right and the extreme left that that are confusing the whole conversation. Because at the end of the day, and and as Christians, because because I talk about this a lot um, with you guys and other people, but I just think that we have to look as a Christian, you have to look at, okay, there's laws that are separate from the Bible and have nothing to do with my faith or me being a Christian law is about everyone. It's about, um, we need a law that helps protect someone who believes in God and doesn't believe in God. Someone who's a Muslim, someone who's a Christian, someone who's a Hindu. And those laws are going to be wishy-washy and there's going to be a gray area because you have, because it, because it has to be. But as a Christian, we have a different set of laws that we are bound to that mm-hmm. we have to live through that has absolutely nothing to do with politics and who's running and anything to do with anything except how we live our lives and show the love of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes down to these conversations of fear, mm-hmm. I I just have to point back to the Bible and say the Bible is very, very clear on fear mm-hmm. and very clear on love. But all that stuff gets sidebarred by a political agenda that has totally taken over Christianity. And I still think it goes back to what we discussed at the very beginning of the conversation, which is where is the fear rooted in? Where, why is there fear in the first place? What is the, what is the, big, that, what is everybody so afraid of? They're afraid of having all these comforts taken away and then actually having like real intense, legitimate persecution happening in your, in our lives. And, and everything is done under the guise of this, like protecting my family thing, protecting my family. It's like, and, and, you know, I understand the mentality there. I understand the concern. You know, I have loved ones too. But at some point, you have got to stop trying to find substitutes for faith. And that's just all there is to it, man. At what point do we have, do we go, okay, that's it. No more. I have faith. I, I, you never see a person who's living their life by faith. The people who are in the mission field on a regular basis. I always cite my uncle, my uncle Jerry missionary my whole life. This guy ain't walking around with a gun. He has no concern about that. 
my cousin, his daughter was in Kenya during like a major, major revolution and inside of a, of a, of an orphanage where she was not wanted because she was not Kenyan and wasn't there. You know, we don't need you here to show us how to take care of our kids kind of deal. Like that's real danger. At no point did the conversation turn to. So that's when I got a shotgun and I kept it at my side at all times. <laughs> at no point, you know, and she's a magnificent person. She's incredible. A godly woman of faith who lives her life in such a way and has affected huge change in the world. But what, what do we want to do? What do we really want to do? Do we want to buy a boat or do we want to affect change in the world and, and lead people to Jesus? I mean, I, I, I have to believe that there's somewhere in the middle there, there's some pretty obvious missteps that are being taken. Yeah, but don't you think that, um, I mean, and, and this is my question to you guys, because we, we all live in different places in the country, but on one level or, or another, we've also toured. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it seems like, like the fear is being used by a political agenda that, that it's very easy to take fear in order to manipulate people to vote a certain way. And somehow a lot of that has penetrated into the faith and into the church system. Smallest of bounds, a thought pulled me out of perfect, numbing, ordinary dream. It pulled me from the deep. Restless, a pressure, intention had grown. A question of purpose shook my heart of stone. What if after Christian community and there's Christian music and there's Christian radio stations, there's Christian coffee shops and Christian hair salons. I, I mean, I went, I was at a church that imploded in Huntington beach because it was completely wrapped up in that. And so devoid of reality that eventually it was just going to happen. But we had our own, we had a Christian jujitsu studio, <laughs> hair salon, coffee shops and clothing stores. Like, you know, you never have to interact with anybody that doesn't believe the same as you. Yay. So like to me, what we've been warning against for years about that exact thing is happening right now. Oh yeah. Now it's, now it's, it's a nationwide thing where there's just like this turning inward 
And I still think it all comes as a substitute for actual applied faith and, and, it enables us to feel some measure of control. And that's what we are still trying to hold on to. Well, they're all holding on to that scripture mark that says, go ye and build a gigantic fence to keep the foreigners out. Yes. You know that one? Like, isn't that Romans or something? I mean, dude, we, what have I been saying for years? You know, the, I don't, I don't understand the mega church. I don't understand the giant building and all this crap and all this money spent on all this shit that means nothing to the people who are actually in need. Okay. This is this is a perfect segue because I <laughs> because I did want to get into mega churches and and just the modern church um just in general and you know Mark we saw so much of it on the road together oh. and having people with us who were not believers and being 100% embarrassed so many times by the overzealous grieved what's the, what's the problem I thought everything was going great. <laughs> But I like if that stuff. There's a there's a there's a reason why all those things are unhealthy, man. Because they lead to this bullshit that we're dealing with now, where it's just like this, like tunnel vision. Uh, we got our own little separate society, but we're not actually separate. Like that's not what the Bible meant when it said, "Come out from them." Okay, it, we are supposed to be in completely different in the world, not of the world. We're supposed to in. be completely different as a as a state of our hearts. You know, right. Like we're right there with them, but we just respond to things differently. You know, when, when hard times come, we don't, we don't consider like prayer as, as some sort we don't use prayer number one as some sort of like just meaningless token tag that we can throw on things. We also don't consider prayer to be a, a last resort. All we can do is pray like actual Christian people pray fervently and then apply what they have 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 gained from from their conversation with the Lord, you know. However, that conversation happens. You pray, you read His Word, you give guidance, and then you go and live. Speak for yourself, dude. I just pray, and then I sit and wait for something miraculous to happen. <laughs> and until until I get my miracle, I just don't do anything. It was always coming I just here, stay. I just saying. stay in my house with my door locked tight, with my AK forty seven sitting on my lap. I blame I blame mega church mentality and church as a business mentality for where we're what we're talking about right now. Corporate culture has infected the church. I well, I have I have a real beef with the whole mega church and and it's 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 rampant. It's sure. not even like like you can say well there's only a few mega churches. Mega churches are on the rise. And franchised and, mega churches or they're not content to have one. They got to have a and chain. That's really, and that's really the worst one to me in that you know, I'm an Andy Stanley fan. Sure. I mean, I love his teachings. He's great. I love I love the way he speaks and and he he has a really good thing to say, but I cannot stand the corporate mindset of of that idea that we're going to go out to all these different churches and you're going to be um and my kids used to go to a church like that mm-hmm. where there's a pastor on campus, but he doesn't ever preach because we're going to, you know, we're going to lower the screen and we're going to, mm-hmm. you know, broadcast in Andy Stanley because that's who can really only deliver the message. Well, here's a, here's a question though. And, and this is a serious question. When you have one service and then you go to two services and then you go to, you're a one campus church, you have one service, two services, three services, four services, you're up to like six services. You got the <laughs> evening service you're going in. Every service is packed. What's then, what do you do? You just say, we, we've reached capacity for our location and that's it. Like, how do you stop people from coming? 
Like, how do you stop you it from growing? You don't. And, and you do have church plants in different parts of the city. My problem is um, piping in a pastor who is in another you location should have by a campus satellite. pastor that's there to preach. Absolutely. I mean, the thing that's is from the community. I mean, my grandmother, when she was in the hospital and she was dying, her pastor, it's been her pastor almost her, you know, half her life, mm-hmm. came and visited her, prayed with her. She had a relationship with this guy because mm-hmm. it was realistic. Sure. But to have a 3,000 person campus and we're going to pipe in, like, who is that guy who is your pastor? Well, the neighbor, the neighborhood church has become a thing of the past. In the old <laughs> days, you'd that. plant a town, you'd open, you know, a town, they build the church. And, the, and everybody in the town went to that church. And then there's, you know, maybe a couple as the town got bigger and it's got bigger, they added more and whatever. But we're totally, completely disconnected from even myself. I mean, where my wife and I go to church is not where we live. Yeah. It's not in our neighborhood. Um, there's not a church in my neighborhood I would want to go to, to be honest. And that's why we go somewhere else. But that's kind of the difference. And that model of, you know, it's not, I'm not going to church with my neighbors. I don't know. I don't live anywhere near any of the people that go there. At yeah. All. But yeah. But because of that, we're losing the community and the fellowship. Part of course of we're losing the this, most important part. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and, and part of it, I think the part of the issue with this is that it's about entertainment. It's like the music's better over there. The pastor's funny. And I think that we've kind of gotten to this thing where it's not really about spiritual growth and outreach and growing together as a community. It's about, I've got 45 minutes to give you on Sunday. I want to be entertained and I want to be bothered the least and I'm in and out. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of this drive-through idea of what church is and to mark off the box. Now, I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but I'm saying that's that's what we want. That's what I want too. I don't want to interact with anybody. <laughs> I don't See, I think there's but part of I don't either. There is some element I hate everyone <laughs> in all of this with with not wanting to interact with anyone. And therefore, I as I was growing up, I didn't always like this. And honestly, there was there was problems with this at times. But my pastor knew every person at the church. His job was as a physical therapist. He preached at the church and led Bible study uh, on the nights that that was you know, agreed upon. Yep. But his job was physical therapy. Right. So we all went to the church and interacted there. But then there was like this, in, this intimate interpersonal communication with the pastor and everyone knew him and he knew everybody else. And he would get together with you at various times, give of his life, you know, set time aside in his life to meet with you. And then eventually we ended up getting a youth pastor who did that with us or whatever. Now, neither of these guys or any of the people that ended up on that staff are perfect people. And of course there's going to be problems, you know, but there was still this, there was still a fundamental accountability that was, that was, was there. And it wasn't there as some like assumed accountability thing where it's like this, like very formal, you know, okay, now we want to make sure that we've got some accountability here. It was just an honest, natural development of a relationship with people. But the less relationships you have with people who are spiritual authorities in your life, the less you ever have to answer to them for when you do wild shit. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. We're really good at separating ourselves from any kind of spiritual authority so that we never have anyone tell us we're wrong. You know, and it's a tough balance to find where you, 
I, I know that I need that. I know that I need someone who can, who can reprove me and sharpen iron against iron. That's what that is. Right. But I also, after having been burned in a couple churches, it's like, I'm hesitant to want to even deal with crazy people, you know, which to me, all points at one direction. <laughs> That's the devil, dude. Yeah. He went for the heart. We was over here worried about, you know, Muslims and all this stuff. In the, in the meantime, the place where we could go and have fellowship and challenge each other and, and, and truly and sincerely learn how to apply the, the, the craft of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we, instead of worrying about that, instead of being concerned about that, we were worried about all this other stuff. And then just like, as he's always done, the enemy comes from behind and just sort of deteriorates that one group of people that might have been able to challenge us in a different direction. Mark, do you need me to be your accountability buddy? See, <laughs> is that what you're looking for? You need an accountability from, buddy. I mean, honestly, there's there is a there is a uh, there is an element to that that's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, I was on tour and like, man, be sure to call in, check, make sure things are going good. You're not doing this, you're not doing that, like, dude. That's really not what I need. I have a real hard time just maintaining the half a dozen friendships I have. But even that, <laughs> those we have a responsibility as Christian people to fellowship with each other. And mm-hmm. if that happens, it will naturally develop where I will say to you as a, as your Christian brother, Hey, no, man, I think you're wrong about that. And right. then it's not the end of the world. And we don't stop talking to each other for the rest of our lives mm-hmm. and run away. And then, you know, build a compound full of guns and shoot everybody. Like, you know what I mean? It's just ultimately, I feel like the more we separate and get in our own little world and all we got to do is just our own thing and mm-hmm. just focus on what I want, what I need and what I like, of course. then, then, you know, there's no opposition ever. And that's eventually how you get to this, which is just this selling out to the culture. It's not a real Christianity. Well, that's also that strategy. Like, like if you read, you know, the art of war or or anything like that, trying to isolate your enemy and make him, you know, not have uh, strength with, uh, with numbers is, is like part of that strategy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like, I feel like we have this friendship. That's why we keep trying to see each other and, you know, hang out that we can, you know, totally. I, I can call either one of you guys and say, dude, here's some crap that I'm dealing with. And that's safe. The problem is, is that the church, in my opinion, the church is not made itself to be a safe place for people not to, at all. to do that anymore the opposite of safe. because what they want is they want everyone to be, you know, to be happy and you're in church and it's a face that you put on and it's a thing. And you know, like you look across the room and you know that that dude's struggling with something, but there's nobody he can talk to because the church has not become a hospital anymore. It's become this entertainment center Mm -hmm. where this is where we all interact and hang out and find out what Susie's doing this weekend. And is your kid going to this school and who's doing that? And it's about conversation and not about fellowship at all. the one thing they always say oh the uh, church is going great the numbers are up man people are coming in and my experience through my entire life has not been that when when 
the the message is is gnarly, harsh reality, challenging. That is not typically a numbers going up kind of scenario, right? When the message is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's not something that's that's getting big numbers. And I'm not saying that if your church is growing that you're not teaching the gospel. I'm just saying that's not the 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 motivation isn't the numbers. The motivation is the message. And then your faith is what says, hey, if God wants this church to continue on, he will continue to bring people here. We will continue to invite people here and they will come and hear the truth, right? Not, we will continue to invite them here and then they'll be stoked because it was such a great show. And then they'll go tell their friends, oh yeah, man, that was a great show that I went to this week. Like, Dude, where did that ever come in the Bible? It's nowhere in there. That is a specifically Americanized version of this. It's, you know, we, I'm sure other countries have their own thing, but our thing is, Lights, camera, show, you know, oh man, that worship leader is really talented. It's like, what in the hell am I doing here? I can't believe I'm going to take this position right now, but I can't stop myself. So uh, as a guy who's currently going to a mega church uh, that doesn't have a campus, which is probably the best thing that you can say about it, that they rent, they have three locations. It's mm-hmm. at buildings that they don't own. Um, the lighting and all that stuff is already in the place. So they don't have, you know, their own, they don't need their own lighting and everything like that, whatever. Um, I've kind of like turned a corner with some of that stuff in the fact that like the church that we go to is filled with kids in their twenties, kids riding skateboards, kids that are in the art and music and all this kind of stuff and like whatever. And this last Sunday, the guy that was uh, the guest guy, he came in and he preached the exact kind of message you're talking about. It was like, pulled no punches. I should send to you guys. It was actually really, really awesome. And his whole, the basic whole thing of it was like, if you really believe the gospel and you really believe the truth of the Bible and all this kind of stuff, the main thing that Jesus want requires of you is to use your words. That was kind of the refrain that he kept using of the thing of like, whatever mm-hmm. to basically testify that you have to, you know, that God gave, you can't just accept this thing and do nothing and, and all this stuff. I mean, it was like hardcore and like to where like people were quiet and he's just like, what you don't like, like, well, you know I mean? It was just like super hard hitting and like whatever. And yet the place just keeps growing. I don't like the showy thing. I don't like the lights. I don't like the, all of it like goes against like what I believe, but I feel like sometimes like God just shows up and is doing things. And like, I don't know, like over the holidays, they did a huge, like, um, like thing where they fed hundreds of people in the city where the power went out in this one building and they partnered with this organization. They did a huge toy drive this year. They did a lot of that kind of stuff and like whatever. So like, I feel like, I don't know. It's weird. Like I'm starting to get ambivalent about some of that. And again, I know you're not saying everybody does that, but I'm also not saying that, that like, I'm not denying that that happened. I'm saying that's the result of God making this go down. Of course. Like it's not, those people aren't coming because of the lights. They're, the, the, the kids aren't there on skateboards because of the production. Something is happening there and God is moving and bringing people in. Hey, man, awesome. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. I don't get it. That's great. <laughs> you know, but then, yeah. then you're telling me stuff like, you know, feeding a homeless and all like that to me sounds like the church that I, I grew up thinking was going to be the church. That's what we're right. supposed to do, right? Is yeah. do this stuff. Not all this. I mean, dude, I've gone to places where that is just simply not happening, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like this big whoop de doo shebang and it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And there's politics involved and there's people's feelings and people's egos and everything. Just as the second 
it's a, it's not really that complicated. Yeah. The second the eyes are off of Jesus, mm-hmm. that's when all the drama starts and everything goes right in the toilet. You know. Well, and I see I see churches doing that kind of thing, like doing a homeless program, but it's always like, um, hey, we're doing it this one time of the year. Or yeah, we're going right. to do this one pinpoint. It's not part of the Christian culture, which is absolutely what Jesus was preaching. Um, that was his whole stance on everything was about feeding the poor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, Bill, um, God can show up anyway, even in a stupid, dumbass church. He can use, you know, a, a donkey. He can use a burning tree. He can use all these different things. So, I mean, I think God shows up anyway. I just really, I, I think culturally, Christians are, are are having a loss of identity, especially our age group is having a loss of identity because I grew up in the church my whole entire life. Yep, and And I've said many times that in a lot of ways, I feel like it did me a disservice because when I see like a new Christian who's like 25 years old, I'm always a little bit jealous of their zeal and of mm-hmm. their passion and of their love because they haven't been worked over their lack yet. of cynicism right can do ha- attitude yeah. about things yeah, it hasn't, working out it, it hasn't <laughs> been beaten out of them by a corrupt you know yeah. uh you know system yet and people haven't failed them yet and so and so like right there they're just experiencing god's love and you know and 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 so passionate about it and like you know and and i'm always like i always heartache a little bit for that because my system is built with lots of trap doors and lots of filters and yeah. lots of, you know, um, I have to vet everything, you know, to make sure that, and, and it sounds like, wow, that's a really difficult Christian walk. But the thing is like, what I want more than anything as a Christian is I want a real experience. That's it. I don't want any fake bullshit. And that's what I started to get sidetracked with the church when mm-hmm. I was in in my youth, when I was a teenager. I was getting sidetracked by all the fake stuff. And so, you know, in my life, I went through, a, a, you know, a few years of trying to figure out, do I believe in God at all? Mm-hmm. And, and am I going to walk away from my, you know, my childhood, you know, uh, felt bored, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sunday school. Am I, you know, am I going to walk away from that and say I don't believe because this stuff doesn't make sense, right? right? Um, and and at one point, I just made a deal with God, saying I am not going to participate anymore in anything that is not real, that mm-hmm. is not you. And um, I get looks for that, so I stand in my church and I don't worship. Um, now have I worshiped? Yes, absolutely. Um, in Africa, sure. I worshiped and I wept like a baby and, and, and Haiti I'll worship. Um, and I saw you dancing in front of a whole building full of high school kids. <laughs> I, I may have danced weird. And, um, and, and I've, I'm so glad I did not see that. <laughs> and I've, don't worry, I have the video. <laughs> you know, I, I have had these experiences. What, what I don't think is that this experience with God can be scheduled so much that it's going to happen every single Sunday or no, every single not. day. I think that the Holy Spirit, I mean, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being this, you know, this really hard to obtain thing that's always changing and moving. And, and, and I think God is not about repeating himself. I think he, he's about, I mean, that's why the arts and all that stuff is so important because God wants to do something new. He wants to do something new in you. He doesn't want to just repeat something that he did with someone else. He wants to do something brand new with you. Mm-hmm. And so I struggle with this whole thing of a, 
you know, uh, a worship pastor saying, come on, everybody, raise your hands. Come oh, on, everybody. A, okay, nope. let's press in, press in. See, that's, in. Nope. that's what I'm talking about. And that's, that's not real. And that's where I get lost. And and I don't participate. I also don't do um, <laughs> something that my poor wife has, has to deal with all the time because I feel like <laughs> she has to always explain away my, you know, my my things to other people is I also don't do like a, a group co- uh, communion. So like when our <laughs> church does, does a communion and they're passing around, I mean, they pass around this little pre-made, uh, yeah, we have those too. Yeah. Yeah. The little cup thing All that already one. has the thing and you peel the tab yeah. and, and, and it's like, that's what, what, uh, that has come down to, yeah. you know, that the drinking, I mean, I mean, to me, that is a very intimate, very personal, very powerful thing to have communion with God and celebrate that. And I can't, it's so hard for me to just want to do it every Sunday or every, you know, the first Sunday of of every month with, with the little cup. And maybe I'm making this too difficult, but for me, this is part of my process to say, I, I believe that God is real. Mm-hmm. I believe that, um, that he moves and it's not about a building. It's not about that dude or that guy or this person or Jerry Falwell Jr. Or Franklin Graham Jr. It, it's about me personally my walk with the Lord and I, um, and I believe that it's real. And so when I see, that's why I get so disconnected when I get into the church scenario, because it doesn't become about let's find what's real. It becomes about, here's our, here's our system. Here's our deal. Here's our thing. And when, you know, we have, we have to raise this amount of money to, to to build the new sanctuary. And it's just, it, 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 it all gets lost to me. Sure. But I was going to a place in uh, in Tampa called Watermark, okay, and we were, we started going there when we first moved into town into into Florida because uh, a friend of ours invited us to like a, a Christmas uh, like candlelight service or whatever. They had just gotten their building, and uh, you know a bunch of people were going to be there, so we went, and, and I really enjoyed it. So we started going, and uh, I was finding that every every weekend the uh the the worship which to me was was ideal because it was loud enough for me to not be able to hear myself or anyone else which is what i want i don't want to uh i don't need to perform like we were on a stage okay like i'm not the singer of staves acre i'm mark who's saved by grace trying to worship god right and and i don't want to have to worry about anything else so that part was awesome and and the and the worship was legit and we did a portion of the worship was also taking communion. And it was like this intimate, every single week they did this. Every single week we broke bread, we drank the, we drank the, the wine and, and, uh, and had communion together during prayer and during worship. And, and to me, you know, following that up with good teaching, it was like, it was like perfect. Unfortunately for us, the scheduling was impossible because of the bartending schedule, but you know, I was really enjoying. I'll pray for you and your that, bartending problem. That's that situation was was ideal for me. Now, of course, though, there were problems. Is it was a very trendy church, a lot of like hipster kids there and stuff like that, and and there it, it got to be really distracting at times because it was almost like a kind of a click fashion show type of thing, which you know you can't avoid human the human element is is what it is you know and i'm sure that i was never guilty of anything like that ever in my life i've always been perfect <laughs> but, you know what i'm saying like 
It's oh great! These guys for? with the braids and the beads in them are coming to the church and <laughs> screwing you, everything up. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going <laughs> their for? Their bucket hats you know? and their hip hop music. Yeah, you crazy kids. <laughs> no, seriously, I I I felt like for me that was like a big step to to go and and be willing to at least try right and and when that church met that that need at that time it, to me it was a powerful thing you know were they was there problems that i had there sure were there things that i didn't agree with absolutely but you know the elements that were there that were fundamental worship is absolutely one of those things were what i was hoping for you know but when i go to these other places uh, go into town and visit this place whatever and it's just like this strange disconnected Okay, now the worship team comes on and cue the lights and here's the thing and and then you get to the message and the message is just, it's milk toast, you know. I, I right then you lost me, man. I'm never coming back here, you know. So that, to me it's just it it really does come from what is being taught and what is being a, like what is being lived out, you know. It got to it's got to go beyond the the message itself. It's got to go beyond the communion. If the communion isn't sincere and it isn't like a chance to really sincerely and intimately worship God and cleanse, like just be open before him right there every week, then it's pointless and it's actually being done in vain. So now you're getting a whole other bunch of trouble, you know? I really enjoy the travel pack communion kits. <laughs> and just put it in there on my little travel kit with my dental floss, my trial size dental floss and my mouthwash. Oh good, my communion kits in here. I can yeah, use we that did. later in my every, hotel room. Every great teacher that we ever grew up reading or anything like that, <laughs> well, it's they're talking about a substantial investment of their own time, sure, every day of their lives. I miss tearing off the hunk of bread. I gotta be honest. Oh, yeah. that part was great. Man. It's not really feasible though, unless you want to be there all day, so all five thousand people can get through there. It's, it's a lot of bread. That's a lot of people. <laughs> I, know, I definitely am, 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 am <laughs> more for the smaller community, though. I'm not. Yeah. Smaller is better almost always for virtually everything.
So, there's some words for you. And despite my earlier rant, we did accomplish one somewhat tangible, non-extreme practical task. Accountability. Maybe a little keeping of the brothers, so to speak. The normal, natural kind. Yep, lit a fire. Lit a fire in my cold, dead heart. And something must be done about it. I'm not trying to be extreme, just present. That's my simple aim. I'll have to answer to those guys if I don't follow up on what we talked about. And when that thought isn't terrifying me, it's exciting beyond what I can express. Again, if you want to hear this conversation in all of its three hours of glory, and trust me, you do, there's some really good stuff in there and a lot of fun. Please visit Giving is Believing with Mike Lewis or Billy Powers Urban Achiever podcast. You can hear all three hours on there and their sort of individual takes as well. And thank you. Thank you for all your support and feedback and faithfulness through this ramshackle season one. Thank you for listening to me, though I'm still not sure why anyone would or does. I'll be back very, very soon. And then uh, really get into something. If you'd like to support the show, please drop a little something in the tip jar at our Patreon link found in the show notes. Uh, this show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Podcast. Any and all previous episodes can be found at Ineverwas.com. And if you'd like to email me or uh, appear on any of the upcoming podcastrophy episodes or maybe, I don't know, some of the thematic ones, email me about anything. Hit me up at thetwilightzone at ineverwas.com. That's thetwilightzone at ineverwas.com. No Zs. Quickly, tonight we heard some Stavesacre. Hey, you might be hearing some new Stavesacre sooner than you think. Until then, we heard Zizek Scarecrow from our album Absolutes and Fear and Love from our last full length, How to Live with a Curse. We also heard the most unlikely anti-gun violence song ever, Saturday Night Special from Leonard Skinnerd. I wonder if people know the lyrics to that song <laughs> as they're shouting it out. Whatever. Also, we heard Bomb Iran from Vance and the Something Something Somethings. All of the music was from my band White Lighter's debut album. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, be good. Rainbow out.